Chapter Eight of Phantoms of Reality by Ray Cummings. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Why this is treason! There was a gasp. The audience sat frozen on the stage, with no one lifting a hand to stop her. The crimson murderess made a leap and vanished. A moment, and then the spell broke. A girl in the audience screamed. Someone moved to stand up, and overturned a seat with a crash. The amphitheater under the canopy broke into pandemonium. Screams and shouts, crashing of seats, screaming, frightened people, struggling to get out of the darkness. The torches on the stage were dropped and extinguished. The darkness leaped upon us. Derek and I were gripping hope. We were struck by a bench flung backward from in front. People were rushing at us. We were swept along in the panic of the crowd. I heard Derek shout, We must keep together. We fought, but we were swept backward. We found ourselves outside the canopy. Torchlight was here. It glimmered on the pool of water. People were everywhere rushing past us, some one way, some another, aimless with a shock of terror upon them. Under the canopy they were still screaming. I was momentarily separated from Derek and Hope. I very nearly stumbled into the pool. A girl was here, crouched on the stone bank. Her wet crimson veils clung to her white body. Her long, wet hair lay on her. I stumbled against her. She raised her face, eyes wide with terror, mute, painted red lips. I heard Derek calling again. Charlie! I shoved my way back to him. The crowd was thinning out around us. Girls were climbing from the pool, rushing off in terror, to mingle with the milling throng. Among the crowd now, down by the edge of the bay, I saw the sinister figure of men come running, the toilers miraculously appearing everywhere. I saw across the pool a terrified girl crouching. A huge man in a black cloak came leaping. The colored lights in the trees glittered on his upraised knife-blade as it descended. The girl fell with a shuddering scream. The murderer turned and whirled away into the crowd. Charlie! I was back with Derek and Hope. Hope stood trembling, with her hand pressed against her mouth. Derek gripped me. The cloak, get it off! He ripped his crimson cloak from him and tossed it away. He jerked mine off. Too dangerous! That's the crimson badge of death tonight. We stood revealed in the clothes of our own world, my business suit in which that day I had worked in Wall Street. Derek, in his swagger uniform, he stood drawn to his full height, a powerful figure. The wires of our mechanism showed at his wrists. They dangled at the back of his neck, mounting to that strangely fashioned electrode clamped to his head. Strange awe-inspiring figure of a man. We were momentarily alone under the colored lights of the trees. Hope murmured, But they will see us, see you. Derek's face was grim, but at her words he laughed harshly. See us? What matter? He swung on me. It forces our hand. We've got to come out in the open now. This murder, this king, my God, what a fool to let himself get in such a condition as this. His people, this chaos, what a fool. 
He had drawn his dirk. I realized that I was holding mine. Near us, the body of a crimson noble was lying under a tree. A sword was there on the ground. Derek sprang for it, waved it aloft. I think that no more than a minute or two had passed since the murder. Down by the water, the boats were hastily loading and leaving the dock. One of them overturned. There were screams everywhere. Red forms lay inert upon the ground where they had been trampled or stabbed. But the prowling figures of the toilers now seemed to have vanished. Derek gestured. Look at the palace, the garden. Beyond the canopy I could see the dim gardens surrounding the palace. I glimpsed the high fence and the gateway in front. A mob of toilers was there. The guard at the gate had fled. The mob was surging through. Men and women in the vivid garments of the fields, armed with sticks and clubs and stones and the implements of agriculture. They milled at the gate, rushed through, scattered over the garden. Their shouts floated back to us in a blended murmur. We were standing only a dozen feet from the edge of the pavilion. No one seemed yet to have noticed us. A few straggling lights had come on under the canopy. I could see the dead lying there in the wreckage of overturned seats. Derek said, We can't help it. It's done. Look at them. They're attacking the palace. This mob springing miraculously into existence, I realized that the toilers had planned that if Sensua were chosen, they would attack the festival. The murder of Blanca had come as big a surprise to them as to us. Come on. Can you get into the palace, Hope? The king must have gotten back there. Get your wits, girl. Derek stood gripping her, shaking her. Yes, there's an underground passage. He probably went that way. From the palace gardens the shouts of the mob sounded louder now, and from within the building there was an alarm bell tumultuously clanging. Hope gasped, This way. She led us back into the pavilion. We clambered over its broken seats, past the gruesome huddled figures. Some were still moving. We went to a small door under the platform. A dim room was here, deserted now. Against the wall was a large wardrobe closet. Stage costumes were hanging in it. The closet was fully twenty feet deep. We pushed our way through the hanging garments. Hope fumbled at the blank board wall in the rear. Her groping fingers found a secret panel. A door swung aside, and a rush of dank, cool air came at us. The dark outlines of a tunnel stretched ahead. In, Charlie. I crouched and stepped through the door. Hope closed it behind us. The tunnel passage was black, but soon we began to see vague outlines. Derek, sword in hand, led us. I clutched my dirk. We went perhaps five hundred feet, down at first, then up again. I figured we were under the palace gardens now, as the tunnel was winding to the left. There were occasional small lights. Derek whispered the hope. The toilers don't know of this? No. Where does it bring us out? I whispered. In the lower floor of the castle. The king must have gone this way. There might be a guard, Derek. What will you do? He laughed. I can handle this mob. Disperse it. 
You'll see, and handle the king. He laughed again grimly. There is no Blanca to choose now. The tunnel went round a sharp angle and began steeply ascending. Derek stopped. How much further, Hope? Not far, she whispered. We crept forward. The tunnel was more like a small corridor now. Beyond Derek's crouching figure, in the dimness, I could see a doorway. Derek turned and gestured to us to keep back. A palace guard was standing there. His pike went up. Who are you? A friend. But the man lunged with his pike. Derek leaped aside. His sword flashed. The flat of it struck the fellow in the face. Derek, with incredible swiftness, was upon him. They went down together, and before the man could shout, Derek had struck him on the head with the sword hilt. The guard lay motionless. Derek climbed up as we ran forward to join him. I noticed now for the first time that in his left hand Derek held a small metal cylinder, a weapon, strange to me, which he had brought with him. He had not mentioned it. He had produced it when menaced by this guard. Then, evidently, he decided not to use it. He shoved it back in his pocket. He whirled on us, panting. Hurry, close that door. We closed the door of the tunnel. Charlie, help me move him. We dragged the prostrate figure of the unconscious guard aside into a shadow of the wall. We were in a lower room of the palace. It seemed momentarily unoccupied. Overhead we could hear the footsteps of running people. A confusion in the palace and outside in the gardens, the shouts of the menacing throng of toilers, and above it all, the wild clanging of the alarm bell from the palace tower. Derek said swiftly, Get us to the king. Hope led us through the castle corridors and up a flight of steps to the main floor. The rooms here were thronged with terrified people, crimson nobles in their bedraggled finery of the festival. In all the chaos, no one seemed to notice us. We mounted another staircase. We found a vacant room. Through its window, we looked a moment, gazing into the garden. It was jammed with a menacing mob, which milled about, leaderless, waving crude weapons, shouting imprecations at the palace. At the foot of the main steps, the throng stood packed, but no one dared to mount. A group of the palace guards stood on the platform over the moat. Derek turned away impatiently. Let's get to the king. We mounted to the upper story. The castle occupants stared at Derek and me as we passed them. A group of girls at the head of the staircase fled before us. The king, Derek demanded. Where is his apartment? Hurry, Hope. We've no time now. We found the frightened king seated on a couch with his counselors around him. It was a small room in the top story of the castle, with long windows to the floor. I saw that they gave onto a balcony which overlooked the gardens. There were perhaps twenty or thirty people huddled in the room. A confusion existed here as everywhere else, no one knowing what to do in this crisis. And that cursed alarm bell wildly adding to the turmoil. We paused at the doorway. Now, whispered Derek, he drew himself to his full height, 
His eyes were flashing. It was a Derek I had not seen before. He wore an air of mastery, as though he and not the frightened, trembling monarch on the couch were master here. And as I stared at him that instant, in this primitive, chaotic environment, the power of him swept me. A conqueror, the strange electrode clamped to his head, gave him an aspect miraculous, awe-inspiring. He strode forward across the apartment. The king was just giving some futile vague commands to be transmitted to his guards down below. A hush fell over the room at our appearance. The king half stood up, then sank back. Why, why, who? I saw a Robar there. His long crimson cloak hung from his shoulders, with its hood thrown back. Beneath it, as it parted in front, his leather uniform was visible. A sword was strapped to his waist. He was striding back and forth with folded arms, frowning, but his gaze was very keen. Robar was not frightened. He seemed rather to be gauging the situation, pondering how he might turn it to his own ends. He stopped short and swung about to face us. His jaw dropped with surprise, amazement at our strangeness. Derek confronted him. His bulk and huge weight towered even over Derek. The king gasped and sat helplessly staring. Robar spoke first. Who are you? This mob must be dispersed. Don't stand looking at me like that, man. Derek spoke, in friendly fashion, but vehemently. This is no time for explanations. They were menacing each other. Robar's heavy hand fell to his sword, but Derek boldly pushed him away. He faced the king. Your Majesty. The king stared blankly at him. The title was no doubt strange to this realm, but no stranger than Derek's aspect. Your Majesty. But the noise from the garden, the confusion, which now broke out in the room, and that damnable clattering bell drowned his words. The king found his voice. Be quiet, all of you. He was on his feet. He demanded of Derek again, Who are you? Derek said swiftly, I'll show you. I can disperse this mob. Charlie, come. It seems as though the gaze of everyone in that room went to me. I drew myself up and flashed defiance back at them and I followed Derek to one of the balcony windows. He went through it with me after him. I stood at the threshold, watchful of the room behind us. Robar was standing aside, and I saw now the woman Sensua with him. They were whispering, staring at me and Derek. I had been wondering why, when Sensua must have known that the king would choose her, why she had dared to murder her rival. I thought now, as I saw her with Robar, that I could guess the reason. She loved Robar, not the king. Robar was plotting to put himself on the throne, using Sensua as a lover to that end. He had doubtless persuaded her to this murder, knowing it would arouse the toilers, precipitate this chaos, which was what he wanted. Scheming scoundrel, I could not forget the look of desire on his face as he had accosted Hope. And now Derek appeared to add an unknown element to Robar's plans. There was no way he could guess who or what we were. 
I saw that he was puzzled, was whispering to Sensua about us, doubtless wondering how to handle us. I saw, too, that there were half a dozen crimson-cloaked men here who were not frightened. They had gathered in a group. They stood with hands upon their swords, eyeing me and watching Robar, as though at a sign from him they would rush me. On the balcony Derek stood with the light from the room upon him. The crowd saw him. The main gateway of the palace was just under his balcony. The crowd had now started up the steps to where the guards were standing at the top. At the sight of Derek, the mob let out a roar, and those on the steps retreated down again. Derek stood at the balcony rail, silent, with upraised arms, gazing down upon the menacing throng. There was a moment of startled silence as he appeared. Then the shout broke out louder than before. The crowd was milling and pushing, but still leaderless. An aimless activity. Someone threw a stone. It came hurtling up. It missed Derek and struck the castle wall, falling almost at my feet. Derek did not move. He stood calmly gazing down, stood like an orator, waiting for the confusion to die before he would speak. From the platform just beneath Derek, the guards were staring wonderingly up, awed, startled. To the right, a wing of the building turned an angle. The castle tower was there. It rose perhaps a hundred feet higher than our balcony. On the railed platform balcony, girding its top, I saw the figures of other guards standing, gazing down at Derek. The clanging bell up there was suddenly stilled. I became aware of the king close behind me. His voice rang out, What are you doing? How dare you? Derek whirled, You fool! To what a pass you have come! Your people in arms against you! His violent words brought the king's anger. How dare you! This is treason! I stood alert, with my hand upon my dirk. There would be conflict here. I felt that we could not hold it off more than a moment longer. My mind leaped to that metal cylinder Derek had concealed. A weapon? Then why did he not have it out now? His eyes were flashing. The aspect of power, of confidence, upon him was unmistakable. It heartened me. I took a step toward him. He smiled faintly. Wait, Charlie. The king gasped again. How dare you? Why, this is treason. Robar, seize him. Hope was beside me, her eyes watching the room. Robar came striding forward. Derek rasped. You perhaps have some sense. Lead his majesty away. Take care of him until this is over. They stood with crossing glances and upon Robar's face a look queerly sinister had come, a smile, sardonic. He said abruptly to the king, I think we should let him have his way. What harm? He gestured, and Sensua came forward, the crimson murderess. Her voluptuous figure was shrouded in a crimson cloak. Her heavy painted lips smiled at the king. Her rounded white arms went over his shoulders. Leonto, do as Robar says. Let this stranger try. It can do no harm. 
The king yielded to her. I watched as she and Robar urged him through an archway that gave into the adjoining apartment. No wonder Robar was sardonically smiling. Derek had played into his hand. We did not know it then, but we were soon to find it out. End of chapter 8